It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello and welcome to Locked On Vikings. I am your host. I am your pal. I'm the kid you copied off in math class. My name is Luke Braun. I'm ecstatic to be with you today. You can follow me on Twitter at LukeBraunNFL. You can follow the show on Twitter at LockedOnVikings. And we have a ton to cover today. So let's not waste any time. The biggest news that we have not talked about yet is Kevin Stefanski, officially official, is going to be the offensive coordinator for the Vikings in 2019. And he is also under contract for 2020, should he make it through his inaugural season. This comes after a long spell of drama where it wasn't clear if Kevin Stefanski was going to return, where it was very clear that the Vikings wanted him to return, and it was really up to him whether or not he still wanted to be part of the team. So yesterday he goes to Cleveland, he interviews for their head coaching job, which, you know, no matter how much he loved Minnesota, he's not going to turn down a head coaching job. Turns out that they also stuck with a guy from within. They promoted Freddie Kitchens to their head coaching job, and once that domino fell, Kevin Stefanski returned to the Vikings, and everybody lived happily ever after. So we get to go into 2019 seeing exactly what the culmination of all of these 13 years of grooming gets to to show us with a pretty talented group of skill players, you know, Diggs, Thielen, Dalvin Cook, Kyle Rudolph, if you're into that, and a quarterback that can make a lot of throws, I'm excited to see what he can come up with. You know, in the abstract, what we saw in those first three games is not really all that encouraging. You know, there were two games where the Vikings took like a whole quarter before they got a first down. There were a lot of really pathetic offensive outings. They did not look good in the first half of the Detroit game, and they only really got things going after Detroit gave up. The Chicago game, they got completely trounced on offense. And the Miami game, they looked good, but Miami's defense is pretty notoriously bad. So it's not like his resume tells us, ooh, he's going to be this great offensive coordinator. But that's a really small sample. And I, I would give you the same caution for, you know, being pessimistic about those three games as I would if those three games went beautifully and you, and, you know, he immediately was anointed with the job. I would say, hey, you know, three game sample, that's, that's not that much. There's a lot of extenuating circumstances, especially when you take over in the middle of a season that is in the midst of dying. Just because you didn't single-handedly resurrect it doesn't necessarily tell us much about how you will be an offensive coordinator. Give him an offseason to pull together his scheme. We've seen him use plays from Norv Turner's playbook. For example, the, the last touchdown of the season, the, the touchdown in the Bears game, was a Norv Turner play. We saw Teddy Bridgewater throw that exact same touchdown to Mike Wallace, I think, in like 2015. We saw him take out plays from Pat Shermer's playbook. We actually saw him run Seven Heaven, the the miracle uh, the, the Minneapolis Miracle play, and we saw him, of course, use a whole bunch of John Filippo plays. We even saw him run a couple of Bill Musgrave bubble screens, and he was in the building for all of those things. He has been in the organization for as long as Rick Spielman has, which tells me that the Vikings really believe in him. And, and everything you hear coming out of there from Paul Allen and from Darren Wolfson and all of the beat reporters say that they like really think highly of this guy, that he's this really bright mind, he's into analytics, he's this very smart person who really has his head on straight. And if you want to be encouraged by that, I think that's the best thing to really pay attention to is just how much the Vikings really like this guy. I think it's long overdue that they turned the, the keys to the offense over to him after having him you know, coach like every position and work under all of these different schemes, most of the schemes that he has seen come from the Andy Reid coaching tree, right? He got his first NFL job under Andy Reid in 
Philadelphia as an intern, and then Brad Childress brought him over, and then he saw the Shermer era, and he saw the DiFilippo era. All of these guys are Andy Reid disciples, or disciples of Andy Reid disciples, and etc. So I think we can kind of project that forward and say we'll probably see a lot of those West Coast concepts, a lot of slants and and short dink and dunk passes, swing passes, things like that. A lot of use of the running back in that kind of like dynamic utility weapon kind of way, which is exactly what Dalvin Cook is made for. So that's really encouraging. But he also played under or he also coached under Norv Turner and Bill Musgrave. And you'll see different uh, different concepts show up from those offenses. We already have seen it. So I think that's encouraging that, yeah, he's kind of got the identity that he was like steeped in, but he also has experience elsewhere that he can draw from because there's certain things a West Coast offense just can't accomplish. A West Coast offense can't necessarily do as good a job of like coming back from a big deficit in the fourth quarter as something like an or Coriel defense that's built to pass deep. He can take those concepts and really mold them all together into something that he thinks is the proper scheme. I wouldn't be surprised if we're sitting here at this time in 2019 and saying, well, the Vikings don't really have an offensive scheme. They just call plays. And I think, honestly, that's a good way to approach it. So elsewhere in the league, a lot of other coaching dominoes fell. As I already mentioned, Freddie Kitchens was promoted from OC to head coach of the Cleveland Browns. And in doing so, the Browns also cleaned house of the rest of the staff. They kept Kitchens and they got rid of Greg Williams. They got rid of Bob Wiley. They got rid of all kinds of coaches everywhere. So Freddie Kitchens will really be able to build his staff from the ground up. This presents an actually kind of interesting opportunity for the Vikings. They're going to be looking for an offensive line coach. They might also look for a quarterback's coach to replace Stefanski. However, there are rumblings from Darren Wolfson and elsewhere that they're going to promote from within to fill that role. But an offensive line coach is kind of a need for them right now. Bob Wiley actually has a pretty good look coming out of Cleveland, right? He was fired today, and that usually doesn't look good, but everybody in Cleveland was fired. So when you're swept up in all of that, it's a lot harder to pinpoint, like, no, were you fired because of incompetence or were you fired because they fired everyone and you're part of everyone? Ultimately, in the year right after losing Joe Thomas, the Browns actually put together a pretty good offensive line with some very young players. This reflects well on Bob Wiley. Elsewhere in the league, uh, Bill Callahan, who's been the offensive line coach for the Redskins for a while and has all kinds of names under his belt from Trent Williams to Brandon Scherf and etc., he also was reported to want out of Washington, so an opportunity for an offensive line coach could cropping up to him would be an opportunity he might actually seize, even though he's under contract with them. He wants to get out of that like whole toxic environment, and everybody kind of knows that the environment in Washington is toxic and very dysfunctional. They've had a lot of dysfunction throughout all the years. There was a lot of this when Kirk Cousins was there. And he is a highly respected, legendary offensive line coach. Everybody in the league that talks about him speaks very highly about him as an offensive line kind of guru, so he would be a huge get for the Vikings. But the biggest offensive line candidate that has come up, which came up late on Wednesday night, was Joe Philbin, which is a very bizarre situation. He is currently the offensive coordinator for the Packers under Matt LaFleur, and it kind of makes sense, I guess, that he would maybe one out, because maybe he and Matt LaFleur don't see eye-to-eye scheme-wise, or maybe he doesn't want to have to run a scheme he's unfamiliar with. Maybe Matt LaFleur wants to call the plays and Joe Philbin doesn't want to be around to, you know, be a rubber stamp. So I kind of get all of that. But the Packers have now granted him permission to interview for the offensive line job. If I'm Joe Philbin, I'm an offensive coordinator. And if I'm going to leave of my own volition, I'm going to at least try to move laterally, right? It's very strange that he would take an offensive line job, a demotion. And it's even stranger that the Packers would 
grant permission for like a division rival to like take their offensive line coach when they can very easily block it. Now, Joe Philbin has a lot of offensive line experience all the way from college. He, you know, going back to the 90s, there was actually a really uh, great thread by one of the listeners, Skull Seas. I'll, I'll, I'll link it in the show notes, basically detailing his resume and all the players that have like come out from under his tutelage. And a lot of his college experience is really interesting. Like Matt Burke came out of there. He also had a lot of success when he was with the Dolphins as the head coach. They had a very good offensive line that was like the heyday of like Pouncey and Incognito before everything kind of fell apart over there. And he's had a lot of experience coordinating run games. So the jobs that he's performed in the NFL is the job that the Vikings need filled as a guy that coaches the offensive line and also like coordinates the run game. Whether or not he's the guy for it, he also kind of has some of that radioactive toxicity from his days in Miami and and now as the offensive coordinator for a Packers team that really didn't look like it was a very smartly run offense, and most of that has been pinned on McCarthy, but it still kind of makes it hard to be excited about that. So if the Vikings do end up going with Joe Philbin or any of the other guys that I mentioned, we'll dive deeper into it, but looking elsewhere in the league... The Jets actually made their decision. They hired Adam Gase, which is kind of funny, taking the the head coach of a division rival. It would be like if the Vikings hired Mike McCarthy right now. It would be very strange to know how we feel about that. Uh, but that, at, speaking of Mike McCarthy, was really the only job that he wanted. It, it was reported that he was like Jets or nothing, and now he has actually declared that he's going to sit out the 2019 season and come back to be a coach in 2020. So he's holding out for a head coaching job, and I think he just needs to wait for some of that radioactivity to settle down like Mike Malarkey or like Jeff Fisher's done. So with all that, uh, we are way past where we have to stop and take our first ad break. So we're going to do that right now and we're going to come back and we have a weekend of excellent football coming up. Then we're going to spend the rest of the show breaking it down. See you guys in a minute. Hi, this is David Locke, the CEO of the Lockdown Podcast Network. In this crazy, unprecedented and unnerving time, I know we're all living our lives a little differently. I thought we had some of our sponsors over the time that might be able to help you out. So we've reached out to them to get you specific offers. Postmates is giving our listeners $100 of free delivery credit for their first seven days. Start your free deliveries, download the Postmates app, and use the promo code LOCKEDONNBA. Anxiety, stress, need something to calm yourself down? The Calm app is available for you. 40% off to our listeners at calm.com slash LOCKEDONNBA. Stuck at home, want fitness? Echelon Fit has been a sponsor of ours. And you can go to echelonfit.com slash L-O-N-B-A. And if you're looking to add some new knowledge and get a little smarter in your free time, Masterclass, or at least your time at home, masterclass.com slash P-E-R is offering 15% off. If you missed any of those, go to lockdownpodcast.com slash offers. That's lockdownpodcast.com slash offers. Thank you very much for tuning in to Lockdown Podcast Network. We hope to be here for you to give you a relief and a respite from all the other news. And thanks very much. Be safe and practice your social distancing. And we are back to break down what is, in my opinion, the greatest week of the NFL season. The divisional round is by far my favorite. And the reason for that is because it's a bunch of elimination games, right? It's the playoffs. And as cool as the conference championships and as big of a fanfare as the Super Bowl gets, this weekend there's four elimination games. So there's so much elimination football that you can just sit back, blow your whole weekend on it, and just have a blast. And unlike wildcard weekend, everybody here has done something extraordinary to prove that they belong here, right? Sometimes in wildcard weekend, you get some like also ran teams, some six seeds or some like team that won a crappy division that you think maybe shouldn't be in the playoffs. You know, I think a couple years ago, like the Lions team that made it in 2016 or that Dolphins team from 2016, or you get like some weird Connor Cook iteration of the Raiders. There's 
an opportunity in the wild card round to kind of weed those teams out. And now you get teams that like definitely deserve to be here. They've, they're either the first or second best team in the conference, so they get a bye, or they've kind of won a playoff game and proven that they belong. I think the Eagles fall in that category. They're just like a 9-7 and seven team that if they'd lost, they'd look like they were kind of a wasted playoff spot. But now they've won a game, and they look like they belong. And now they're going to go be this like scrappy underdog that challenges, you know, the Goliath of the Saints. And we'll talk about that game in a sec. We're actually just going to go in chronological order here. So the first game that we are going to talk about is Chiefs-Colts. The Colts, once again, go on the road. They play in the early Saturday game. But this time, they have to play the number one seeded juggernaut offensive Chiefs. And I think that while I'm going to pick the Chiefs in this game, I'll just get right to that. I think the Colts do have more of a chance than I think most of the analysts are going to give them credit for because Andrew Luck has been here before. He's got plenty of playoff experience from his time in the league. And I think the Colts roster has a lot of players that are like underrated and unknown, but are better than you think. Anthony Costanzo is playing well. Braden Smith is playing well as a rookie. And I, I called both of those guys out uh, when I was talking about last week's game. And I think it holds true here, too. The, the Chiefs are going to come in with Justin Houston and D. Ford. These are two guys that have been playing very, very well. They also have Chris Jones, who's playing at an extraordinary level on the interior. So it's a really tough defensive line assignment. But between Quentin Nelson and Ryan Kelly on the inside and Costanzo and Smith on the outside, I think that the Chiefs or that the Colts are like, you know, they're, they're cut for this. They're ready for that particular challenge. Uh, unfortunately, the Colts, and I'm working with the Wednesday injury report as I'm recording this on a Wednesday night. Uh, currently, we it doesn't look like T.Y. Hilton uh, is practicing right now, and maybe this will change by the time that you're listening to this, but that would be obviously a huge loss, and it would really change the landscape of that game because right now the Chiefs in the secondary uh, are vulnerable. It's kind of where they're vulnerable. And they're also vulnerable just in coverage in general, uh, even at, at the shorter depths with like the linebackers and stuff. So, you know, you see somebody like Eric Ebron and Mo Ali Cox that are kind of able to, to convert and move chains and Eric Ebron even being like a really explosive weapon. You can see a path for the Colts to maybe steal this one. And, you know, we talked about last weekend, how like nobody wins their first playoff game, and that really held true over Wild Card Weekend. Mitch Trubisky, Lamar Jackson, Deshaun Watson—they all lost their first playoff game to guys that had been there, to like Nick Foles and Philip Rivers, and one Andrew Luck. And and that's not to say, especially with like Trubisky, that Trubisky did or didn't outplay Nick Foles, but he like didn't play well in the game. I would I would argue. Um, and I think that there's definitely a chance that the Mahomes we've seen in the regular season doesn't show up for this like different playoffs energy. But, you know, the divisional round really tends to favor the home team a lot. And there's a bunch of reasons for that. For one, they're one and two seeds, right? They're very likely to be the better team. And over the course of the season, yeah, the Chiefs are a way better team on paper than the, than the Colts. Um, and then, you you know, you put in the bye week and you put in the home field advantage. And it's like a really, really tough thing to go on the road and win in the divisional round. Here's the thing, though. Three of the teams in this divisional round have already gone on the road and won a playoff game, and they have that momentum, and they have that that energy kind of sorted out, and they know how to behave. I'm really interested to watch Pierre Desir in this matchup. I think he's kind of making a name for himself, um, and, and he's starting to break out a little bit for the Colts. You know, he was one of the only players in their two matchups, their regular season matchups against the Texans, that was able to look halfway decent against DeAndre Hopkins. He actually had a pretty good game again against DeAndre Hopkins. So I wonder if they'll have him shadow Tyreek Hill and kind of play the, the hot hand there. He'll have his hands full with Hill again. 
Um, but here's where I think the game is going to be won for the Chiefs. It's going to be at the linebacker position. And I think uh, that the Colts, in my opinion, they, they lack the kind of player that can cover Travis Kelsey. And I think Travis Kelsey is really going to be able to take over this game. I think he's going to really be the key. If Travis Kelsey gets going and starts producing, I think it's really, really going to be hard for the Colts to stop the Chiefs from just marching up and down the field at will, despite the fact that the Colts have a lot of really good players all over their defense, you know, and Malik Hooker, Kamoko Ture, uh, Kenny Moore, who actually did a really nice job out of the slot on DeAndre Hopkins as well. So look out for that matchup on Tyreek Hill. I think the Colts have some players that are like really playing out of their minds right now, but I think that the Chiefs are just too rawly talented and couple that with the bye and the home field advantage. I'm taking the Chiefs, but I don't feel nearly as confident about it as I would, uh, you know, any other one seed versus six seed matchup. Moving on to the Saturday night game, the Cowboys are going to go into LA, play in the Coliseum. I'm really excited. I'm actually going to be there. Uh, for those of you who are new to the show, I live in LA, so I'm actually going to that game. It should be really fun. Um, but we really are going to see kind of strength on strength. And that means that, you know, the vaunted Sean McVay, everybody who's brushed shoulders with him is now getting head coaching jobs. And the Gurley and Robert Woods and Brandon Cooks, all these guys on the Rams are going to go up against this like Dallas defense that just absolutely obliterated Seattle's number one rushing attack. And now they seek to do the same against Gurley, but now they also have to contend with this like crazy explosive passing attack and this like innovative mind should be a really interesting matchup on that side of the ball. But I think if you think back to all those matchups where it was like strength on strength, who's going to win? The game is often decided on the other side of the ball where you have Dak Prescott and Ezekiel Elliott and Amari Cooper all going against this defense that's supposed to be like star-studded with like Donald and Sue and Marcus Peters and all these guys and is really kind of underachieving a little bit though I think that that talent and especially some of that experience is going to come through in the playoffs and I think the Cowboys have a low-key really big problem on the offensive line you know last year's Cowboys offensive line would have been awesome you would have seen Aaron Donald versus like Travis Frederick and Zach Martin, but unfortunately there have been some injuries and some other health issues that have kind of taken away from that Dallas offensive line. And I think Donald and Sue actually have a really good matchup. You know, Donald might end up one-on-one -on -one with a rookie in Connor Williams who played tackle in college. So he's a rookie in like his first year at guard right now. That is going to be a matchup that favors the Rams really heavily. And I don't think that the Cowboys can like win this game through Zeke. They're going to have to win this game through Dak Prescott and Amari Cooper the Rams have Aqib Talib and Marcus Peters, both of whom I think are capable of taking on Amari Cooper, even though they've both kind of underachieved this year. And I think both of these quarterbacks, you know, under the bright lights are going to have a tougher time against pretty talented defenses. You know, Jared Goff and Dak Prescott from the 2016 class, they're not the guys that we thought they were, really. Jared Goff, he has... They, they've both experienced these missteps throughout the season that have been well-documented in these, these games where they really kind of fell apart and I think if either of those guys does that in this game it's going to decide the game I'm going with the Rams in this one I don't think that the Cowboys are going to be able to rely on the game that they want to play I think they're going to have to play a game that they're not comfortable playing and they're going to have to keep up in a shootout and I think Aaron Donald is just going to be able to show up and eat in this one so I'm taking the Rams I think they're going to win and make it to the NFC championship so we are going to go to another ad break. I'm sorry that this one's going way long. This is usually uh, a much more tighter show, but we had a lot to talk about in the beginning, and we have. And I don't want to skimp on any of these divisional uh, previews. So we are going to go take an ad break, and when we come back, we'll talk about the Sunday games. See you guys in a minute. 
and we are back. So the next game that we're going to preview is Chargers Patriots. But before we get into that game, there's actually something that I forgot to mention from the Chargers Ravens game that really piqued my interest. And I think it's worth sharing with you all. So just stepping back to that one real quick, basically the way that the Chargers shut down Lamar Jackson and the very unorthodox offense that the Ravens run is a excellent gap discipline, like I talked about, but also they use different personnel packages than is typical in a matchup like that. So they actually used quarters personnel against offensive formations that you usually wouldn't use that against. Uh, basically, just real quick, the way that defenses, NFL defenses typically refer to personnel packages is as follows. So usually, whether it's a 3-4 or a 4-3 defense, either way, that's seven people between the defensive line and the linebackers, and that leaves four defensive backs, usually two corners and two safeties. But what if the wide receiver or the other team brings out an extra wide receiver, so they have three wide receivers and you need an extra corner for it, and you'll take off a linebacker, maybe a defensive lineman or whatever. You have five defensive backs now, and since that's five, it's called the nickel. That's why they call him the nickel back. Uh, and if you add a sixth defensive lineman, it goes up to a dime. And if you add a seventh, like the Chargers did in the wild card game, that's called quarters. Pretty simple to understand once you you know you get the origin of it. Uh, so the the Chargers used a quarters package and basically dared the Ravens to be more physical than them. But the Ravens aren't that kind of team with Lamar Jackson, so they essentially at every point. In, on the field, they had enough speed to keep up with Lamar Jackson. A lot of the other teams had this problem where if Lamar Jackson didn't try to outspeed a corner to the edge, there was nobody in the vicinity that was fast enough to keep up with him, so he'd be able to run all over everything. The Chargers basically said, listen, we are going to put ourselves at a size disadvantage. Even when you come out in a two tight end set, we're going to have seven defensive backs out there. We're going to be faster than everybody on your team, and we're going to win that way. I don't think they're going to do that against New England. I think that was a specific like Lamar Jackson counter thing. Listen, you're weird. We're going to be weird with you, and we're going to beat you at that. But on the point of secondary, I think the Chargers actually have a pretty strong advantage against the Patriots on the outside and deep. I think that as much as guys like Chris Hogan and Julian Edelman and Rob Gronkowski have had success over all these years, the Chargers definitely have the personnel that can keep them blanketed and contest every catch. And I think that, you know, Julian Edelman and Rob Gronkowski, they've kind of not been having the seasons that we're used to them having. So if the Patriots are going to beat the Chargers in this one, I think they're going to have to do it up the middle. And that's a really tall order to win a game up the middle. It means you're going to have to get an early lead and then hold on to it. I do think that that means if the Patriots are able to get an early lead, if they're able to score a couple touchdowns, get up a couple scores early, and then they get into a clock control mode, I think that that's going to be really, really favorable for the Patriots, more so than it would be for the Patriots in other matchups, just because the the Chargers have a lot more finesse on their team than physicality, and that's not even a knock on them. The finesse on that team has led them to like this excellent 12-4 and record and a, and a reasonable chance at beating the Patriots in Foxborough in the divisional round. In my original playoff prediction, the one that I made before the playoffs even started, you can actually find that pinned to the top of my Twitter page at LukeBronNFL, I had the Ravens winning the uh, Ravens Chargers game, which meant that this would have been a game against the Ravens. And I had the Patriots winning that. But because this is the Chargers, I actually think the Chargers are set up to limit Tom Brady to make it so that the Patriots don't get out to that early lead. And I think on the other side of the ball, Phillip Rivers has the goods to 
take advantage of a Patriots secondary that has struggled at times this season. And I think on the offensive line, even though the Chargers have struggled some, I think Phillip Rivers will be able to produce under pressure. And I think Keenan Allen specifically will be able to eat in this game. So I'm actually going to take the Chargers to go to an AFC championship, and I'm going to make it an all-AFC West Chargers-Chiefs AFC championship. And I think that'll be a really fun game if it turns out that way. But on that, I don't think there's actually a bad championship game possibility left in this season. I think every single permutation looks really, really fun to close out the season. So finally, we go to Eagles Saints, the nightmare of Vikings fans everywhere outside of something like Bears Packers, like what we had in uh, 2010. Uh, These are the two teams that Vikings fans, I guess, hate because of NFC championship wounds in the past. And we're going to see one of them advanced again. Personally, I don't really get bothered by either of these teams. I think whatever we're mad about happened, you know, is in the past. And I don't think that it's really worth getting worked up about it. Both of these teams are really fun to watch in their own right because they both have really interesting identities. And I, I guess I choose to enjoy it rather than get mad about it. But I digress. This game should be really, really fun. The Eagles defense now has gone on the road and stymied Mitch Trubisky and the kind of broken attack that they have. It'll be really interesting to see how that molds itself in the coming years. But the Eagles now have their hands full. They need to stymie Alvin Kamara. They need to stymie Mike Thomas. They need to stymie Drew Brees. Now, Dallas actually kind of put a blueprint out there for this one when they played on Thursday night in New Orleans. They actually managed to stop Breeze in New Orleans, something that I don't think is going to happen all year. So, spoiler, I'm taking the Saints in this one. But I think that if the Eagles go watch that game, they can see that Dallas put a cornerback on Kamara and double teamed or bracketed or whatever Michael Thomas, and Breeze had to basically make the offense go through like Ben Watson and Melvin Ingram, and that's a much easier team to stop once you do those things. So if you kind of take a page out of the Chargers book, do different personnel moves, and get a little bit more interesting, and if Jim Schwartz is smart enough to figure all that out, they could take that blueprint from Dallas and do exactly what they did over there. Now, I just don't think that the Eagles have the personnel to stop them. I don't think that Ronald Darby is a good enough cornerback. I don't think that they really have uh, good enough personnel in the secondary to stop Drew Brees from picking them apart as good as Malcolm Jenkins is. I think the defensive line is very good. They've kind of underachieved this year in terms of what they're supposed to be, except for Michael Bennett. He's an absolute beast. But the Eagles have simply lost too many defenders to injury this season to really, uh, in my opinion, be able to keep up with what Drew Brees and the Saints will be able to do at home in the Superdome coming off of a bye. I think they're just going to overpower that defense. And on the other side of the ball, as good as Nick Foles has been, uh, I think eventually that Cinderella story has to pumpkin, right? He is... You know, the the Eagles have a very predictable identity. They can only run a a certain amount of plays because those are the only plays that they know that Nick Foles can properly execute. And I think there's enough tape on the Nick Foles, Doug Peterson Eagles now. I mean, there's like nine games out there of it that I think the Saints can actually start game planning for this. I think earlier in the Doug Peterson era when it was Nick Foles games, you know, back in those playoffs or back in those kind of first three regular season games, you didn't know what you were going to get with Nick Foles because you didn't know, you know, which plays Philadelphia felt comfortable with Nick Foles running well now you kind of do know they have a whole playoff run from last year they've got the whole end of this year and I think that that amount of tape is going to allow the Saints to stymie this weird magic that Nick Foles has in the playoffs I think Marshawn Lattimore can match up really well with Alshon Jeffrey and that'll be a really fun matchup to watch throughout the game and I'm sure the broadcast will be like all over it 
And I don't even think that Lattimore has to like beat Jeffrey outright. I think Jeffrey is in, he's one of those players that really excels in the playoffs. Maybe he had like the revenge game mode going on, but I do just think that he's one of those players that feels that energy and feeds off of it. And I think he's going to play really well and it's going to be up to Marshawn Lattimore and, you know, Marcus Williams. He of missing the miracle tackle fame, who's came back and has had a really nice season for the saints. Those, it's going to be up to those guys to stop the downfield attack of Nick Foles. I actually think that the Saints are going to get uh, some turnovers off of Foles in this one, and I think that's really where we're going to look at the end of this. You know, when the Eagles are picking up the pieces from their season, they're going to say, all right, yeah, Nick Foles turned the ball over a bunch against a juggernaut team, and we you know, we lost to the buzzsaw. So I, I think the Saints are going to move forward. I know that that's a lot of really boring predictions. I picked three home teams on the in the divisional round, but divisional teams win about 75% of the time. So I think that, you know, I feel confident in those predictions, um, but less so than usual in the divisional round. Like, the Colts have definitely a path to upset the Chiefs. You know, the Chargers have a path to upset the Patriots. I even think the Eagles have a path to upset the Saints if they can figure out, you know, how to steal that game plan from Dallas. And Dallas has a chance to upset the Rams. You know, the Rams haven't been playing their best football of late. So I wouldn't be completely shocked to see any of these road teams win, but my picks are going to go against them and stay boring for now. So that is going to do it for me for this episode of Locked on Vikings. I will not see you again until Monday when we talk about reviewing the games and go over any news. We might see an offensive line coach be hired by then, so we'll definitely talk about that when it happens. But until then, thank you all for listening this whole week. I will see you next time, and skull. Hey, sports fans. My name is Ben Beacon. I'm the host of Locked On Wolves, the Minnesota Timberwolves podcast on the Locked On NBA Network. The Wolves might be in the middle of what's turned out to be a pretty miserable season, but there's still plenty to talk about. From the aftermath of the trade deadline to looking ahead at what moves Gerson Rosas and the front office might be planning for the summer, to the possibility that all-star snub Carl Anthony Towns could go off on any given night, it's still going to be a fun spring. Tune into Locked On Wolves daily, Monday through Friday. I'm Ben Beacon with Locked On Wolves. And we'll catch you next time.